If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to the book of Jude. Jude is just a, a very short book. We call it a book. It's a letter. Um, it's, it's in the New Testament. You'll, it'll take you a little time to find it, and that's okay. Uh, if you've been with us for a few months, you know that I was going through verse by verse, and still am to some degree, uh, two books of the Bible. One was Jude, and the other is Proverbs. And so that we don't get uh, too consumed with one book like Proverbs, and you're in Proverbs for you know, two years, uh, we want to take some breaks. And so we made it actually because Jude is one page long. We made it all the way through Jude, and we were in Proverbs quite a while. But I promised you this. Uh, Jude covers some huge, huge topics. One of those topics is the Holy Spirit. And I said once we made it through, we would touch on the Holy Spirit, like another one is angels. That's, that's a huge topic. What are angels? What, what, are there angels? And what's their role? That sort of thing in the Bible. So I promised to go back and touch on those. And this morning, we're going to look contextually at the Holy Spirit. Now, as you're looking for the book of Jude in your Bible, the challenge is this. As you cover a, such a huge topic as the Holy Spirit, it's not what are you going to say, but what are you not going to say? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And so it's like, all right, let's take 20 minutes and explain God fully, right? Good luck with that one. And, and all right, I need to stop lying. We're not taking 20 minutes. It's more like 35. Sorry, I'm long-winded. All right, so how are we going to take 30, 35 minutes and explain the Holy Spirit when literally that concept that is revealed in the Bible goes all the way through the Bible Oh, several hundred times. Well, what I decided to do is simply this. Uh, I'm going to cover what I can cover, and I'm going to do it the best I can. I'm not going to open up the fire hose and spray it at you and go over 200 scriptures. I've got a total of nine slides with nine passages of, of scripture, and they're going to be focused on what Jude was focused on, so we can take this contextually. And so there are two areas of the Holy Spirit that we're going to focus on. Number one, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our life in the Holy Spirit. And number two is praying in the Holy Spirit. What in the world is that? And so those are the two areas that Jude covers. And so we're going to go a little bit further in depth on those two specific areas as far as life in the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and praying in the Holy Spirit. And, and that's pretty complicated. That's pretty big picture. So let's begin and give you the context here in Jude. It's only one chapter, so it's not Jude chapter something. It's just Jude, verse 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. I'll read through it. You can read along, and uh, we'll go back and take it a, a little bit deeper. It says this, But you must remember, beloved, so he's speaking to believers, the beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are individuals that had known the apostles of Jesus and their teaching. Verse 18, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So Jude is reminding them, uh, this unknown church or this unknown group of believers, that in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And that's important because the recipients of this letter 2,000 years ago, approximately, were living in the last times. 
Uh, a lot of teaching says, you know, the last times are coming in the future. No, the last times began with Jesus. And so 2,000 years ago, he can write, in the last times, this is what is going on. This is what you need to understand. Because there were individuals in their church that were causing these problems. So he's, he's affirming this truth that the apostles had predicted. In the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And these were individuals inside the church. Th those individuals scoffing outside the church were always there, but they were being warned about individuals who were following their own ungodly passions as opposed to the Holy Spirit. And he's going to get to that. It says, it is these who cause divisions. So if you've ever been in a church and there's divisions and problems, you know that there are some individuals in there that are following their own ungodly passions. But he goes beyond that. He says, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. So that leads to the question, how do you get the Spirit? What, this, what is the Spirit about? And we're going to dig into that. But he's saying these individuals who are following their own ungodly passions and intentionally causing divisions in the church, not just disagreements, not just differences in theology, so to speak, on minor details. They were passionate about the things of this world. And it's easy to follow into that trap or fall into that trap. And then they were causing divisions. They were knowingly doing something. And a mark of these individuals, he flat out says, they're devoid or they don't have the spirit. Verse 20, but you beloved, he reaffirms that there are individuals there that are loved by God. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So you have one group that's following their own worldly, God, ungodly passions, causing divisions, but here's the purpose. Here's what God is calling you to. Here's what he's commanding you to do. Building yourselves. So this isn't pull yourselves up by your bootstrap kind of faith, earn your way into heaven. But when you do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there are some requirements of you. That's part of your faith. Your faith isn't, well, I'm just going to believe in Jesus and live however I want. It's he, he has a desire for you here, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Is there some way that you can pray without being in the Holy Spirit. Two different kinds of prayers. Do you have to flip a switch somewhere? I don't know. How, do that, how does that work? Well, we're going to get into that. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. All right? So there's a bigger picture here. Building yourselves up in faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So you're living in this world, waiting Loving, building yourself up, praying that leads to eternal life. There's a destination involved. So I, I, I'm going to try to give you a very simple illustration, uh, kind of let you know what the you know, Christmas holidays look like at the Knox household. Uh, these were my gifts last year uh, that I asked for from you know, my relatives here. We got the big fire truck. No, this isn't really mine. I had some donations. Uh, we've got the van. We've got the Tonka Troy. Do you, do you remember any of these little toys that you had when you were kids? Yeah, that was pretty cool. You've got uh, the SWAT vehicle. I like that. Got the SWAT vehicle. 
And then you got the actual really fully functioning Tonka truck. It's amazing stuff. You probably can't see any of that. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get a little bit closer shot maybe on the video here. Then I've got my cool Barbie pink uh, uh, little, I don't know, it's a Mercedes maybe. I'm not sure. No, that's Judy's actually. Uh, no, that's not Judy's. Uh, so here's what we got right here, okay? So we got a bunch of little toys. We've got some fire trucks. And uh, this is kind of what life is like. And we actually view life kind of like this sometimes in the church, I've discovered, especially revolving around the idea of the Holy Spirit. So we're living life, and we've got people, and they're, they're going through life, and they're headed in a particular direction. And the things that are important to them in life, kids, education, job, work, dog, hobbies, entertainment, Facebook, whatever. And so they're pursuing life, and then all of a sudden, they hear the gospel. They hear that there is a God who created this world. They come to the understanding that they are sinners. They have fallen short of the glory of this wonderful God. But this God loves them and is not going to condemn them. But he is a just God. There has to be a payment for sin. And so God himself takes on flesh as a payment for that sin. He suffers, dies, and is resurrected on the third day. And it is this son, Jesus, that God says, you have to trust in him and give your life to him. This God, true God, one God, three persons. And if you do that, I'm going to forgive you your sins because I have a greater purpose in life for you. Not only life now, but eternal life. So, as everyone is pursuing the things of this world, I'm not going to take you out of this world. We're not going to do that. You're right here in the little Tonka truck. You're, you're moving along. But here's the deal. I've got a bigger plan for you. You're, it's, it's, it's more than just getting up every day, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, getting up, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, and doing that until someday you drive right off the little cliff and die. There's, there's more to life than that. There's more to life than just the hamster wheel. Now, someday you will die, short of Jesus coming back, but it, you, you do have hope even when you do die, but there's a plan in life while you're going that direction. And it's not about redecorating the house. It's not about gardening. It's not even about kids or, or work. All that stuff is good. It's commanded. It's a blessing. But there's something more. And so here is where we're going to begin digging in to what it means to be filled by the Spirit, live in, in the Spirit while you're, while you're moving through life. But there's a greater purpose. And this, this is where you begin to have to try to wrap your arms around something that can't be seen. God is spirit. And so let's begin the very first verse. First slide is John chapter 3, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot. So there's some debate in interpreting this verse, but I believe he just, according to the, 
Nicodemus's question here. He's, he's answering a Jewish leader's question about what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can I re-enter my mother's womb? You know, that, that's kind of weird. I'm an adult man. He just simply puts it like this. Unless you're born of water, physically born, I believe, and of the Spirit. So one of the roles of the Spirit is regeneration, rebirth. You are born again. When you trust in God, he does a miraculous act. You are born again. And you might be thinking, Scott, well, I've been in church all my life. That's no big deal. I could have stayed at home asleep and not had to, to you know, come to a service. And, and that's not a big deal. That's, that's not earth-shaking in my life. I was really hoping for something new on the Holy Spirit here. But notice this. Born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So right off the bat, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The Jews 2,000 years ago were looking for a king to bring them a physical nation. Yet the prophets were prophesying a new covenant, a new promise, something different, a redeemer, a savior, a king who would save them. But God's plan was different. He was going to bring a kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. So they didn't have to, to just be focused on traveling through this world and about all their land and all their little things. It was going to be something bigger and greater and eternal. And it was the kingdom of God. So right off the bat, in order to enter the kingdom, the Spirit of God has to move in you. You have to be born of the Spirit. And that's a decision that God calls us to make, to repent and to trust in him. And so this is what he is teaching. But John chapter 7, verse 39, it says this. Now this is he, this is he, now this he said, sorry, I'm going to get it right, about the spirit. John chapter 7, verse 39. So whom those who had believed in him were to receive, were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we talked about, just a second ago, living in the last times. The book of Jude is a historical document. This Jesus is a historical individual, right? Christianity is unique in its claim. It's not a philosophical claim. It's not a myth. It is grounded in history, and it is making historical evidential claims. And so, the last times that Jude was talking about is, this is these are the last times in which God is working. And here, it's saying the Spirit had not yet been given. So the Spirit of God had been moving in amazing ways, and we're going to touch on that in just a second in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is revealed, but while He is in the flesh, before He is glorified, He is not given the Holy Spirit as we experience today. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times or before the, uh, the New Covenant would move upon people. He would fill people. He would lead people. He would do all kinds of things. But it wasn't across the board of filling and indwelling in all people. It, it's interesting as you read the Old Testament. So to enter the kingdom of God, you had to have the Spirit. But the Spirit wasn't given initially. Jesus was there. Then the next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is the big day. This is after Jesus was resurrected, ascended into heaven. They were all together in one place, verse 1, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, Jude was talking about devoid of the Spirit. This is the first wide uh, giving of the Holy Spirit. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And like, you're going, Scott, how, how can you tell? Do you turn purple? Uh, is Bob over here because he's you know, bald-headed? Does that mean he has the Spirit and like I have hair, I don't? What's the litmus test, right? I've had to take a drug test at work. I had to take all sorts of tests at school. How do you tell? Well, here's the amazing thing. God did miracles through his prophets and individuals in the Old Testament and was an affirmation of God at work. Jesus himself did all sorts of miracles. And these weren't a miracle in a back room with only one witness who was the buddy of somebody. No, these were public. The evidential claims, historical claims of Christianity were public for people to see. And not only for people to see, but it affirmed that officials in real life and historical documents made decisions, whether it was in Corinth, uh, whether it was in Rome, in Jerusalem, this was real life, evidential history, documents that we have testimony of people who made decisions. And he says here, the Spirit was given because Jesus, or rather the Spirit, uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So one of the miraculous miracles in Scripture that is recorded is the Holy Spirit moving on individuals they're in history, they're in Jerusalem, and they began to speak in other tongues. These tongues were languages unknown to the population there in Jerusalem, but because there were Jews that had come from all over uh, the ancient Near East, they all spoke different languages, and these individuals began to hear the gospel proclaimed, the glory of God proclaimed in their languages evidence of the giving of the Holy Spirit and other miraculous things, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy. These things were in full force in the New Testament as evidence of the unseen. So the litmus test were miraculous events, the ability to do that which only God could do. But what about in our day? Well, things began to change. We, we don't have Jesus today. We don't have the apostles today. But what we do have is the very word of God recorded for us. The New Testament believers didn't have the New Testament. It was written to them. And so I told you as the Spirit acted differently in, say, the Old Testament, and, and God is spirit. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But in Scripture, it's recorded that he begins to act differently in periods of times. And we just read this, and it's like, okay, it, apparently this was a miraculous one-time event because even in the rest of the New Testament, the spirit begins to operate differently. And so here there was this miraculous infilling that uh, was evidence of a change. People who have trust in God, his followers who have entered the kingdom of God, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says this, it's an encompassing of the gospel and what it means to be filled by the Spirit. But when the fullness of time had come, so once again within history, this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. When the fullness of time had come, he's, he's summarizing all the history of the Old Testament, thousands of years. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
This was important. Not only born of the Spirit, but born of the flesh under the law. You see, we're not under the law today, the Mosaic law or the, the entire law of the Old Testament. We are under grace if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. But we were, mankind was condemned under the law. And God sent a Savior to redeem us from that condemnation. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, and here's the cool thing, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. Notice this, we're moving from just simply a generic, the, the spirit of God, but to the spirit of his son. As you begin to understand scripture, the Holy Spirit, kind of like the Scott Knox, you don't refer to me as the Scott Knox, or, or, but you kind of do refer to me sometimes maybe as the pastor. And so the Holy Spirit is another term for the spirit of Jesus. We have the spirit of Jesus dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit. He sent the spirit of a son in our hearts crying, Abba, or Father. So one of the things when the Holy Spirit indwells us, when he has redeemed us, we have the Spirit testifying in our hearts that we are his children. And that's huge. That's so huge. Because let's get back to my illustration. You're going through life, you're trying to find your purpose, and you're cruising along, and all of a sudden, guess what? You wreck. You have a problem. Things go awry. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a, a trial, and, and you're like, why is this occurring? And not only that, but people around you, they're biting the dust as well. And, and you're losing hope. And in the midst of that, I don't know if you have kids, but I know at one time you were a kid. As a kid, you don't always understand what's going on in life. And it may be terrible, but the one thing, the one thing that you want to hear as a kid is, it's going to be okay. I've got this. I've got a hold of you. You want to hear mom and dad as they put their arm around you, their presence and say, it's okay. You're mine. I've got you. It's going to be okay. You need to remember, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in God, God is there. He has not left you. His Spirit is indwelling in you. You are His child. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how you identify yourself as a PhD, as a nurse, as a doctor, as uh, someone who is inept, maybe. Maybe you're living full of fear. Maybe you're living based upon your identity as some sort of failure in life. I'm a felon. I'm a drunk. I'm a whatever. No, you are a child of God. The Spirit of Jesus dwells in you. You have entered into the kingdom of God. That radically changes everything. You are no longer living for the things of this world. Yes, things are going to come up, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But God has given you his spirit 
as a deposit, a guarantee. You are the son and daughter of God. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says, puts it like this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So that's a decision you have to make. Are you still living according to the world, or have you trusted in God? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, getting more specific now, not just his son, the spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, and you are living in this world, you still do sin, even if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. The spirit is life because of righteousness, because of the righteousness of Christ, who he is, you are declared righteous, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who Jesus is. You are a child of God. You are not this used, washed up, horrible piece of trash that the world can make you believe. You are a child of God who has been declared righteous under the blood of Jesus. Now the question is this. Do you want to take that knowledge? Do you think God gave you the spirit of his son just so you could cruise through life like this. Think of the Old Testament. I mentioned the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, as you're reading in morning, you know, in the morning or maybe in the evening, whenever you have a quiet time, and you're kind of a little bored, let's be honest. Some of those Old Testament stories are like, why is this even in the Bible? I don't get this. But you come across this phrase, all right? Maybe it's Moses, maybe it's Elijah, maybe it's Samson, and you read, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Are you expecting the next sentence to say, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he built an addition onto his house? <laughs> All right, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went to work. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and filled him and he proclaimed, it's time for coffee. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and they went out swimming in the Jordan. Right? No, in the Old Testament, when you see the Spirit of the Lord moving on someone, stuff is about to happen and you're interested. You wake up. You don't need the coffee that you're like just downing, trying to keep awake before you head off to work. You're like, what is about to happen here? And unfortunately, when we're indwelling, when God fills us with His Spirit, when we first trust in Him, life is good. We have this peace and it's amazing. But sometimes we kind of quench the Spirit and we don't take advantage of that. And we take the Holy Spirit who's indwelling in us. And guess what we do? We're not focused on the kingdom of God. We're focused on gardening. We're focused on golf. We're focused on, well, are my kids going to have enough presents this Christmas? Am I going to hurt their little psyche if they only get one? Uh, it's, it's amazing what happens we begin to doubt God, his love, when we take the very gift that he's given us and all these other blessings, and we don't use it for his kingdom. You see, sometimes as we seek to follow the Spirit, we, what we do instead of seeking the kingdom of God, we just kind of make this world kind of religious, and we go, I'm going to follow the Spirit, and we ask the Spirit to tell us what college to go to, where to move. We act like we're following the Spirit, like I'm a I'm going to follow the Spirit to Boise. I'm going to move there. We're going to, that's the kingdom of God there. And uh, I'm going to have two houses. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a lake house you know, up at 
at, uh, in Idaho. And, and we, what we do is we try to, to utilize the Holy Spirit in this life, and we're praying and we're praying for God to point in certain directions, but we're, we're never thinking eternally. We're always thinking vertically or horizontally and not vertically. Was God really concerned about stuff in the Old Testament or was he concerned about the people? Was he concerned who they were, not necessarily where they were going? He would give them the land. He had the land. They were already in the land and he sent them out of the land into Egypt. He could do whatever he wanted in this world. He was concerned about who they were, not where they were going. Not Bob the plumber in the Old Testament, right? He didn't have much work. They didn't have plumbing. He was digging out houses maybe. I don't know. That stuff is good and it's important. But as you're living in this world, going to work, going to school, raising kids, you've got to do certain stuff. But the challenge is to realize that God has called you and has given you more than that. He's given you hope. He's given you purpose. And none of that's dependent upon the things of this world. Well, let's get to how are we to operate in this world. That's getting us to prayer. Jude 20 says this once again, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What is that about? Well, Ephesians 6, 17 through 18 repeats this same phrase. But this is where I, I hope that you'll understand what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit not some special kind of prayer. Remember, it is God who already filled us. He's already testifying that we are his sons. It's not like we're controlling God and telling him what to do. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18 says this. This is at the end of Ephesians, Paul's uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. He's describing the armor of God, this imagery that he's using, how we're to live. And he says, take the helmet of salvation and notice this, the sword of the spirit. So this is a weapon that uh, is actually used in their day to kill people, but it is an offensive weapon and it is used to cleave and get rid of things and to uh, change, to affect change in a very powerful way, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit, once again, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So what is he talking about here? How can we, what can we learn about praying in the Holy Spirit? Number one, God's decision to fill you wasn't yours. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, you aren't taking Christ and kind of manipulating him like these toys, making him go wherever he wants. He is God, right? And so he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And so you're not flipping the switch and turning Jesus on and, and making the Holy Spirit do stuff. He is indwelling you, and he will do what he wants you to do. But the interesting thing is this. God seems to respond, his spirit, how he operates. When we pray, he prays. And we're going to go deeper into that. But I want you to understand the word of God and how it relates. Let's back up. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So when I take the Bible, do I refer to this as the Bible or the sword of the Spirit? I refer to it generally as the Bible, but I could refer to it as the sword of the Spirit. Are they different? No, it's just a different emphasis on what's going on. 
the purpose. Uh, the, the Bible is referred to in any number of ways. God's word, his commands, his testimonies, all sorts of things. Um, but it's also referred to as the sword of the spirit. It doesn't turn into the sword of the spirit magically. We don't flip a switch and out pops a little sword of the spirit, right? So the sword of the spirit and the Bible or the word of God are the same. It's just a matter of emphasis. So when the text says, and it follows along here, it's the same terminology, the same grammar. When it's referring to praying in the Holy Spirit, it is a reminder of what is going on when you pray. When you pray to our Father in heaven, you are praying in the Holy Spirit. And we're about to understand what does that look like? What is going on there? So 1 John 5.14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So God has a will that is revealed in his word. Remember the word? But there's the problem. There's a challenge with this. You see, there are some of the toys up here as we're moving through life that are in different spots. Right? We've got, let's say, this is Brett over here, and this is Chris over here. And we've got the sword of the Spirit, God's will. If we ask anything according to his will, it will be done for us. That is a promise. The challenge is this. Let's say we have Bob off the edge of the cliff, and we're praying for Bob's salvation, but he doesn't respond. We know for God so loved the world, Right? So he loves everyone. It's his desire that all people come to know him, but that's not happening. Maybe in your life it's like, I know it's God's will for me to work, but I don't have a job. I know it's God's will that I'm not to cuss, but I have this overwhelming problem and it's seemed to, to stick with me my whole life that I keep cussing. I have this overwhelming problem and, and stuff uh, with maybe worry or fear and, and that's sticking with me. And I, I know it's not God's will, but what's going on here? Trials, tribulation, sickness, catastrophe. And you're like, you're trying to figure all this out and you're praying according to God's will. Well, there is God's will revealed is his word, but it's application. So God's word in total, in total, but we have people at different points in life applying it. And so applied, it's going to look different in people's lives given their situation. So we're praying according to his will. We're praying in the spirit. Now let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. So our weakness is this. Can you imagine, I mean, just try to think about this. God is completely sovereign. He's in control of everything, right? Everyone's praying to him, you know, all the time. All these different miraculous events occurring simultaneously. How do you work it all out, right? Uh, Judy, maybe she's praying that we go to Chinese today for lunch and I'm praying we go to Mexican. How does God decide which one of those prayers he's going to answer, right? All sorts of stuff, right? So we have this incredible limitation. We, don't, we may never understand why Harry down here died. We may never understand why we received a diagnosis with cancer. We, we may never understand why uh, our wife left us. That's our weakness. We have this limitation. But God 
knows everything. And so the Spirit helps us in our weakness where we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We can get it, some of it right. We know God's will that it's been revealed to us, but in our specific situation, there's just like, it feels like we're in a storm and we can't figure out what's going on. Well, we don't even know what to pray for in that scenario, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This isn't speaking in tongues. This is the Holy Spirit, notice here, is too deep for words, interceding for us with the Father. So the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives, this is this wild concept. When we pray, specifically when we pray, God responds and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, intercedes with the, with the Father according to his will in ways we can't even understand. So when you're in a deep situation where you're like, man, it doesn't seem like prayer is really worth it. Uh, I'm not seeing any change. Well, what you have to understand is there's a lot more going on than your singular, singular little universe. There's all of mankind, all of creation, and God's got it. You may not ever in your weakness know what's going on, but you can trust in him and not only trust in him, but understand your prayers are not going unheard. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking in ways that you can't even understand, affirming that you are a son or a child of God. And so he continues on and he says this in verse 27, and he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, So the Father knows the Spirit of Christ. He knows this. And because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in the application of God's Word in your life, as you're using it, trying to follow it, there's still going to be stuff that you don't know why it occurs. But guess what? The Holy Spirit, as we pray, and this is why it's so important, God works it out according to His will. So when you pray, this incredible, miraculous event is occurring that you may not even be aware of. The Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf according to the will of the Father. And all the craziness, all the trials, all the temptations, all the catastrophes, God's got it. So prayer isn't just something like, Dear Father, How are you today? I'm good. Things are good. Snow, thank you. We appreciate that here in Baker City. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this house. No, it's deeper than that. Far deeper. Even if you don't really open up your heart to God at first, just speaking, just talking to him is a good thing, right? If your child comes up to you and somehow manages to explain a cartoon that, that, it, that really only lasted 15 minutes in, in the short period of time of like an hour and a half as he explains all these details of what was going on in the cartoon, you're like, this is a stupid conversation. How did I get in the, in the middle of this? But guess what? You love it because it's your child. You listen to the explanation of SpongeBob SquarePants and why you built Bob the Builder, whatever. You listen to that and you love it. You just appreciate that your son isn't too old to still come to you and talk. Lastly, very final passage. This is the cool thing. Ephesians 3.20. This is Paul closing uh, his letter or, or kind of closing his thought. Now to him, referring to God, who is able to do far more abundantly. 
than all we ask or even think according to the power at work within us. God is able to do far more than what we ask according to his will or even can think at the, based upon the power that is at work in us. The question is, what are you doing in this life? Does God really need to work in your life if all you really care about is social media? Is all you really care about is what color you're going to paint your living room? All you really care about is goofing off? Or are you invested in the kingdom of God? Do you realize that this world, there is no hope because at the end of it, there's a cliff and you're going off it just like everyone else has and it ends in the grave or at least temporarily? Have you ever given thought to eternity? And what happens? And have you ever even given thought to this life and the purpose? Are you really just on the hamster wheel and that's all that you've got? Or do you realize that there is a God who loves you and has a greater purpose, this kingdom, and above all else, he's concerned with you and who you should be. You should be holy as he is holy. And someday you will stand in his glory with him. In the time here on earth, he desires to transform you into the likeness of his son. And he will give you his Holy Spirit. He will indwell you. He will adopt you as a child of God. And you can live with peace and freedom above all the tragedies of this world for a purpose in growing and knowing him that is far greater than any goal or purpose that you can even think to achieve. Is that what you want? Is that who you are? I pray that it is. Let's close. Father in heaven, I just thank you today. Uh, thank you for revealing in your word at least the simple basic truths that we can understand about the Holy Spirit. Father, above all else, I, I just ask for forgiveness. I don't always use the very gifts that you've given me. I don't always realize that you're indwelling me, that, I, that you have a, a greater purpose for that indwelling than just simply going to work and doing stuff, Father. Help us live for your kingdom. If there is anyone here that has never made the decision, if they're still unclear about what it means to simply trust and pray and, and ask for you to forgive them of their sins and to turn and trust in you. I pray they'd be bold enough to come speak with me, speak with anyone in here about what it means to do that. There's no magic words. There's no magic act. There's no amount of penance. It's just simply your love and your grace. And they're turning to you, Father. I pray they would make that decision today. Thank you for this time of the year that we can remember who you are, and to take this holiday and make it what we desire, the proclamation of your good news. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.